वसुदेवसुतम देव कंसचाणुरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णम वंदे जगद्गुरु Chapter three, verse number twenty-six. We have done it last time. Let's chant it. Please uh, repeat after me. Chapter three, verse number twenty-six. Na buddhi bedam janayed, na buddhi bedam janayed. Agyanam karma sanginam, agyanam karma sanginam. Joshayet sarva karmani. जोषयेत विद्वान्युक्त समाचरन विद्वान्युक्त समाचरन सो इट सेज टू द वेदांतिस्ट द एनलाइटेंड वन एंड ऑल्सो द सीकर दैट डू नॉट कन्फ्यूज द इग्नोरेंट डोंट टेल देम यू आर ब्राह्मण एंड देर इज नो एक्शन फॉर यू यू आर नॉट द बॉडी एंड द माइंड encourage everybody in appropriate action in ethical and moral action encourage everybody by doing that action yourself uh, but you remain centered in if you are a seeker in the knowledge that you have gained through vedanta with the help of your devotion and meditation if you if a person is enlightened remain centered in the true self in the atman as pure consciousness as the witness consciousness and that's how you work what's the context the context is action spirituality is all very well but what about this world what about our lives in this world that includes monks too see monks we are very clever what have you done you have given up the world and uh, uh, what exactly does it mean you move from one house to another that one was the house and this is the ashram just change the name Uh, still eating, give up lunch and dinner, and now it's prasad. <laughs> But you cannot give up your existence in the world as long as one has an embodiment as a body and mind. One exists in some form or the other. So, what is the wise way of um, living? Some people may be very good on this philosophical side of it. maybe very devotional but they find life very turbulent and very difficult to cope with so that practical wisdom how to manifest one's spirituality in one's day to day life which wherever it is whether it's in the ashram or at home or in the office or in school wherever it is uh, one a christian pastor here in new york said that in every congregation you will find some people who are so heavenly they are very heavenly but no earthly good <laughs> <laughs> so i vivekananda gave talks on practical vedanta so one monk humorously in india a friend of mine he said do you know what practical vedanta means if you ask that monk to do something practical he'll give you a vedanta talk <laughs> that's practical vedanta no action is there for for those who are not at all interested in in religion or in materialistic engaged in the world of course there is action for those who are interested in religion who are spiritual seekers yes there is action your life is there you have to lead that life those if you he says to arjun if you consider yourself enlightened then too there is action the difference is um 
that the enlightened ones act for the welfare of others. Why should, if I'm enlightened, why should I do anything in this world at all? Am I, it isn't, doesn't it mean freedom? Yes, freedom at the spiritual level. At the level of the body and mind, when you are as long as you are part of the world, you are engaged in the world. So loka sangraha, loka sangraha means welfare of the world, welfare of others. There was, I sometimes mention the name of Ram Subdashti, who was this uh, sadhu in uh, Harid, in Swargashram near Rishikesh. Um, he was an expert on the Gita. Expert is not quite the right term, but he was immersed in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, so these little things he would tell for spiritual practice, they are so useful, very inspiring. So in this verse, when he's talking about it, he says something very simple. He says that a spiritual seeker should not do anything for oneself. Sadhak ko apne liye kuch nahi karna chahiye. That's, that's literally true, almost literally true if you're a monk. At the most you need to beg for your food maybe or even that comes to you. That's it. But if you're uh, 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 somebody in the world, apparently you're still doing something. But that's just the place, the office and the, the family and the situation you are placed in. You're taking care of that. But really you're not invested in that. You know that your real, uh, that your real sustenance, your real goal is God. So... Nothing in the world is really done for myself. And yet you are doing things in the world. You are, it, it becomes a service to humanity. Now, this is verse number 26. I had stopped there on purpose. I had stopped there on purpose. Uh, because the next two verses, 27 and 28, are uh, very important. In verses 27 and 28, Sri Krishna explains... As far as the world is concerned, as far as action is concerned, as far as our quotidian day-to-day -day life is con concerned, what is the difference between the ignorant and the enlightened? What is the difference between the person who has not realized the truth and the person who has realized Aham Brahmasmi? What's the difference? In these two verses, the essential teaching of Vedanta is there and its practical implication for our life. So, it's connection to our day-to-day -day life. That is there in these two verses. What happens when I do not have this knowledge, when I'm not enlightened, and what happens when I have this knowledge, I'm a seeker, I'm trying to establish myself in this knowledge, or I am already enlightened. What's the difference? That's, that's shown here. Um, before I go on, it says, Joshayet Sarva Karmani Vidwan Yukta Samacharan. The enlightened one should encourage everybody else in their uh, activities, doing so himself or herself, um, continuously doing so, uh, all activities, continuing all the activities oneself, the remaining, yukta means remaining centered, centered in, in the reality. I was just reading some beautiful reminiscences of Swami Premanandaji, uh, who was a disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, Babu Ram Maharaj. He was the first manager of Belurmat. Um, a wonderful uh, Swami, if you read his life story, it's so inspiring. I often say when you read the life stories of these great saints, uh, of these enlightened beings, that's actually the real commentary on these verses. That's the real expression of what does it mean when you see it in life, actually. How is it actually done? 
So simple thing. Enlightened being, encouraging everyone to do whatever is necessary uh, by one's own personal example. So the reminiscence is very simple. Some, some monk who was a young monk at that time and who saw Swami Premananda, he said Swami Premananda would get up at 3.30 in the morning like all the other young monks and novices in the ashram in Belurmat in the main, main monastery. Every day he, he would take particular care. The reminiscence is written like this. He would take particular care to make sure everybody was doing their meditation, japa and meditation properly by doing so himself. He would come and sit with them. And then... Um, there would be uh, classes on scriptures, on texts, Vedanta texts. He would encourage everybody to study and discuss these things by doing so himself. He, says he would come and, to come and attend all the classes. He would sit there and he would answer the questions of uh, the people who were there. But you see, this leading by example all the time. Does that Swami really need to study Vedanta texts anymore? No, Premanandaji is of a different category altogether. Uh, he is fully enlightened, he is Jivan Mukta. Does that Swami need to come to the uh, e evening prayers and morning meditation? That Swami's natural state of mind is meditation itself. But no, uh, it is for the sake of the, all the others, the youngsters who have come to become monks. So there he is encouraging them to do what monks should do. Um, to get up early in the morning, to meditate, devotional practices, service, um, study, all of that. Now let's go to verse number 27, 27 and 28. 27. Prakriti kriyamanani gunei karmani sarvasha gunei karmani sarvasha ahankara vimudhatma ahankara vimudhatma Kartaham iti manyate. Kartaham iti manyate. All work, all activities are done by Prakriti. I'll explain everything. Um, through its gunas. What is Prakriti? What are gunas? Wait. All in due time. Through its gunas. But deluded by the ahankara, the ignorant one thinks that I am the doer. All right, this is the meaning of the verse. Remember, what's happening? Krishna is explaining the earlier verse. How does the unenlightened person, the ignorant person, act in the world and thereby gets trapped in samsara? And how does the enlightened one work? And um, Which is an instruction to us. How should we live in this world? So this is the teaching. Why these verses are important? Not only they contain the essence of Vedantic teaching, Advaita Vedanta teaching, they contain the essence, we'll see. But they also give us the practical pointer, how do we implement it in our day-to-day -day life? Um, how does it manifest in our life? First of all, before we go into the, the secret, the central teaching, practically look at the lives of enlightened beings and the lives of ordinary people. The difference in action becomes so obvious. When you look at the lives of, of course, Sri Ramakrishna, Swami Vivekananda, the Holy Mother, but also the direct disciples and all the um, great devotees and monks I have seen in my life till today and the life of the average person in samsara, such a big difference in action. Um, 
what they are doing when they are sitting in meditation, I don't know. Is somebody dozing or is somebody in samadhi? Who knows? But I know them. I can see them in action. The, um, the test is in, in action when, when you actually see them uh, in, in samsara. Hmm. So many beautiful uh, examples I, I have seen. Where, <laughs> where does one start? No action is too high or too low. No activity, no work. Swami Vivekananda, once in the early days of the monastery, some of the direct disciples grumbled and complained about one of the brothers that he is studying too much Vedanta and not doing the household chores. I have a suspicion it was Swami or Vedananda, but anyway, it's, it's, that's not mentioned. Um, but Swami, then they complained to Swami Vivekananda that the pots and pans are not being washed. Uh, and Swami Vivekananda said, if one of your brothers wants to study uh -huh. and master Vedanta, let him do so. You should be happy. Where are those pots and pans? Uh, uh, how many pots and pans do you have? Give them to me. I'll wash them. I'll clean them. And he did. He, he did it himself. Till the others were ashamed. I don't know what effect it had on that monk, but definitely the others. So no work is too high or too small. Vivekananda himself, I know this... Um, you know by small incidents, you know, it's in the small activities. This professor of philosophy in India, he said when he was a kid, a schoolboy, he actually saw Vivekananda. Um, he was a professor of philosophy in Muzaffarpur, in, in what's in Bihar now. Um, he actually saw Vivekananda. He used to study in the school in a place called Deoghar, and um, Swami Vivekananda visited Deoghar. By that time, he was already very well known. And uh, the, the, he said that our school teacher said, the famous Swami Vivekananda is visiting, we should all go and see him. And so all the school kids, they were taken out in their best uniforms. And this boy, who's written the reminiscence, he said, I had a new pair of shoes, so I put them on. And we went to see Vivekananda. Vivekananda was coming out of the place where he was staying, and he was going to say, I'm going to take a walk, walk with me. And so the school boys walked with him. And uh, Swami Vivekananda pointed to my shoes and just pointed this way. Now my laces were not done properly. So I didn't understand. I just looked stupefied and, and stared up at him. And then the great Swami Vivekananda went down on one knee and undid my laces and did them properly immediately and, and got up and started walking. And so he says that that day when I went back to the dorm, I couldn't take off my shoes till late in the night because people kept trooping into my room to see the famous pair of shoes which had the shoelaces had been done, <laughs> tied by Vivekananda himself. Just a, such a tiny incident. Mm -hmm. Work. No work is too high, too low. Um, I have seen monks. Um, tremendous work from morning till night. Yet relaxed and happy and serene. The reason is, as Ram Sukhdasji said, never do anything for yourself. Since they're not doing anything for themselves, they're not getting anything out of it personally. That gives them a tremendous sense of freedom. Swami Vivekananda said, do not work like a slave, work in freedom. One, one technique of, one, one of the features of working in freedom is, the, the one who does less than what is expected is a slave. The one who does what is expected is the honest person who is giving back to society what, what is expected. But the one who gives more than what is uh, expected, that one is working in freedom. 
work in freedom. Sri Ramakrishna taught the Holy Mother. He said when he was suffering from cancer. He told her, when I'm gone, how should she live? And she said, it's one thing, she said, never put your hands out like this. Never ask. Always like this. That means you're always giving. That is the attitude of the enlightened person. You might think, what have we got to give? A smile, a little bit of good behavior, a few positive thoughts. And, and just, just your, you know, they say that if you, the Franciscan order had this rule, that if you had a glum face, you are not allowed to go out into the world that day. <laughs> so, um, intense activity, activity for the sake of others, activity done in peace. Other, the people normally work in samsara for getting happiness. The enlightened being works out of happiness. Somebody told me that we struggle so much. And even in this country, it's, uh, uh, the re real struggle is you, you don't feel secure. Um, you have to keep on working and working so that you can accumulate more. Um, it's not so much greed as a sense of how much is enough. Not to satisfy one's greed, but at least just to feel secure. The enlightened person feels secure all the time. It works out of a sense of complete security. Not to become secure. Nothing in the world is there that you can add to yourself which will make you more secure. Nothing, really. So, practically when you look at the lives of spiritual seekers and in advanced spiritual seekers. Um, I mean, I could give so many examples. Okay, let me give a... I'm tempted to, so I'll spend a little time giving two or three examples. Small examples. Um, there's this uh, Swami I know. Later on, he became the president of the Ramakrishna order, Swami Gahananandaji. At that time, he was the general secretary of the order. One of the calmest persons I've seen. Uh, he was... Uh, um, uh, he was the head of one of our most troubled centers at that time when the communists were in power in uh, West Bengal. And one of our hospitals was always under siege by unions and strikes and so on and so forth. And this Swami was the head of that hospital. And there were times when he was surrounded by slogan shouting... Uh, union members, uh, sometimes he was being shoved around physically, always calm. There's a, um, l a lawyer who did some law legal work for our ashrams there, and I met him once. He's very senior, very well-known lawyer of Bengal. Uh, he told me that, you know, how I became attracted to your order, to the Ramakrishna movement and all, that's Swami, Gananandaji. At that time, the Swami was head of that hospital and there were a lot of labor troubles going on there. The communists were trying to uh, take over the things. Um, I said, yes, I know. Well, at that time, there, were these group of, there was this group of uh, troublemakers uh, who were creating a lot of problem for the institution. Um, and the Swami decided to um, you know, fire them. You might think, that's, what's the big deal? It's a big deal. It's not a big deal here in the United States. 
but uh, it, it's a very difficult to fire, well, at least it was at one time, very difficult to fire somebody from a um, job in, in that circumstance in those days. The laws were, were very difficult uh, to, you know. Uh, so no matter what the worker did, it would be very difficult to remove him from the job. Anyway, so the Swami had to prepare a case against the workers and the lawyer said, I would sit with the Swami and we'd late into the night working out the details. And, um, and there was political pressure coming in from political leaders, threatening the Swami, don't, don't fire them. Uh, hold, let them stay in, the, uh, in their jobs. Because they had gone to their political masters, including a call, the lawyer told me, including a call from the, the then chief minister of West Bengal, Jyoti Basu. Don't fire those workers. Politely. But politely a call from the chief minister carries a huge amount of weight. <laughs> and the Swami quietly dealt with all of that. He would deal even with the people who were threatening, who were rough, who were polite, who were sophisticated, with the same gentleness he dealt with all, but firm. No question of shifting from that position. And they finally did it. And those workers were removed. All right. This, um, the lawyer said, months passed. Couple of months later, the Swami called me back. I said, you know, we have to do some work. What's the work? We have to take those people back. But Swami, <laughs> we worked so hard to, uh, they're troublemakers. And we worked so hard and you refused all those big people. And, uh, and we worked so hard to get, get it done and then now they're out. It's done. I said, yes, but you know, they have families. They're suffering. Children are there in their families. And uh, I can't bear it. We'll work out something. Let's get them back. And this lawyer said, that was the day you know, I was sold. That this, is, this man is a saint. And from that day onwards, he has become a... So anyway, look at the heart. And look at the engagement. He's, he's a monk. To do hour after hour, day after day, boring legal work, and finally get this thing done, which seems to have nothing to do with his spiritual monastic life. But he does it all as worship. And yet with what heart? His real concern is for the person, not for legal niceties and things like that, not for politics, not even for how they have treated him, not even for that. My personal interaction with him was a few times. Uh, one little incident, just the opposite. This is a big issue. Now let me give you a small issue. A very small, tiny incident, but which I was witness to. Uh, where he visited our ashram, where I was a brahmachari, just a newcomer. And uh, because the Swami is coming, he's a big Swami, uh, we had to make things right, you know, like arrange the room and everything. And one of the young monks um, of my age, he was in charge of the maintenance and the water. So he decided to go all out and he got new fixtures and he fixed the pipes. And, it. and so when the Swami came, this big Swami who's our revered guest, um, I think he at that time was the vice president of the order. Uh, he comes in and he goes to take a shower and he's standing there in his towel and there's no water. Because he's done such a good job that there's no, no water coming anywhere. Earlier it was working at least. Now nothing works. Very calmly. So by the time my friend rushed in horror when he heard what was happening, he rushed and he found the Swami sitting quietly with, his, with a towel around his waist and with a faint smile on his face. And the others were so upset and running around. He was 
And this might seem to be a very small thing, but uh, it shows. It reminds me of another Swami, Swami Lokeshwarananda, who was very famous for his absolutely even temper. Remember, these are not monks sitting in uh, meditation in, in mountains. They are in the midst of intense action. Imagine running a 500-bed hospital in the midst of uh, strikes and union action and all of that, and you are being uh, abused. And uh, there's an Indian word. I don't know if there is any English translation. Gheraud. <laughs> Surrounded by agitating, shouting, hostile people, and still remaining calm. The um, same thing with Swami Lokeshwarandaji. I've heard um, he is the head of this very big institute in, in Calcutta. It's known as the Institute of Culture in, uh, in Kolkata. And at, at that time, again, the same problem with the uh, unions and the communists and all. And somebody heard that there, there was going to be a procession of communists coming uh, who will you know, sort of break into the institute and you know create mayhem there. So one of the monks said to the Swami, uh, Swami Lokeshwaranda, should I inform the police? We can get police protection. And the Swami said, no police. And one, the next day there was a protest outside the institute and there was a group, group of people shouting and they heard a big crash. And they rushed into the Swami's uh, uh, office where he was sitting and working. He was writing in those days, no email or anything, writing a letter. Somebody had thrown a rock through the window and the window was smashed and the rock was inside uh, on the carpet. The Swami was writing a letter. He looked up, saw the rock and went back to write. <laughs> he just said, no police. So deep calmness in the midst of intense action. Swami Bhuteshanandaji, who was the 12th president of the order, um, he used to go, he was the head of our ashram in Rajkot used to go to people's houses to collect money for the ashram. Now, see, for a deep and sincere spiritual seeker, it's actually a painful thing to go and ask for a little bit of money here and there and there. But you're doing it for uh, the Lord, for the, uh, for the work of the ashram, not for yourself <laughs> at all. He went to this very rich person's house who would give money to religious organizations. And he found these beggars waiting outside uh, for the handout he stood in queue, and the person inside was sitting, and he asked, uh, the Swami from the Ramakrishna order was supposed to come and meet me today. Why isn't he here? And his people went out looking, and they found him in the queue of beggars, sitting in the queue there. And they rushed and pulled him inside and said, Swami, what are you doing there? I said, no, they have come to ask, and I have come to ask too. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm waiting in, my, in line. Uh, these, I know this is not a very arranged presentation, but this gives you little ideas of the mentality behind the work being done by uh, an enlightened person or a, or a sincere spiritual seeker. There is no personal, no axe to grind there. It's working in complete freedom. All right. Now, this is on the surface. What's the secret behind it all? The secret is this. The I sense who am I? That can mean two things. Here is the core of Vedanta and how do we apply it to our work, our day-to-day -day lives. The sense of I can, can mean two things. 
One is the sense which Sri Krishna calls ahankara. He uses the word ahankara vimuratma. The one deluded by ahankara. What is the Sanskrit word ahankara mean? It literally translates into ego. What do you mean by the ego? It means the sense of when you say I, normally the way we use I, I meaning this person, here, this body, this mind, this person, this narrative, this personal story. I am this. This use of I is called ahankara. That which identifies me with my body and with this body and mind. A little clarification here. When you say ego in English or in Sanskrit ahankara, the word ahankara in Sanskrit has the analogs in almost every Indian language. We immediately misunderstand. Why? Because there is another sense in the, uh, in the way the word ego is used or ahankara is used. Uh, in the sense of a proud person, arrogant person, um, you know, uh, someone who t has a superiority complex, wh what we call, uh, that person is very egotistical. But here it is not meant in that sense. Here it's meant in a philosophical or a psychological sense. Here it simply means the simple feeling of I, which we all get, right now we are getting it, and we can say things like, I am sitting here, I am speaking, or I am listening. There is no, no arrogance involved here. There is no pride or superiority complex involved here. It's just a psychological fact. I, there's a feeling of I. And that feeling is deeply associated with this person. Not with anything else. This feeling of I, which is associated with one body and mind, to which all the others are other, not me. That is called ahankara. It is nothing to do with uh, e um, uh, egotism or pride or uh, uh, who's opposite you know the person you should not be egotistic one should be uh, humble that's a different thing altogether that's uh, th uh, that depends on that's our, about our mental attitudes but this is a simple psychological fact quite neutral in all our activities we have this sense of ahankara which reports what we are in this body and mind which uh, there's a technical definition in vedanta what is ahankara Abhimanatmika antakkarana vritti ahankara. The function of the mind which, is, which has the, the function of appropriating or identifying. That which appropriates to itself all the activities of body and mind. The body is walking. I am walking. Here I am seeing something. I am seeing things. Memory is working. I remember or I cannot remember. Uh, intellect gets something. I understand. A desire arises. I want. You see, the same I is appropriating to itself a cloud of activities going on around it. That is called ahankara. So that's one meaning of I. And that's the meaning we are all used to. And that's what Sh uh, Krishna is pointing out. Ahankara vimuratma, The one deluded by ahankara. What's the other meaning of I? That is the atma or sakshi. Witness consciousness. All our Vedanta. You don't look so puzzled. You're not hearing it for the first time. All our Vedanta is to take us from the sense of ahankara to the witness consciousness. So, remember, Drigdrishya Viveka. The eyes are seeing the form. The mind experiences the eyes. I, the consciousness, experience the mind. The mind is different from me. The moment you separate the mind from the witness awareness, so that, that is the Sakshi. That's no longer ahankara. 
you are even the witness of the I. The I is a function happening in the mind and we are aware of it. And that's nothing strange. It's just that we, we miss it all the time. Right now, if we look into ourselves, we will feel the I. What is feeling the I there? That is the witness consciousness. And you can never objectify it. The I can be objectified. The feeling of ahankara can be objectified. That's what enables Shankaracharya to sing. Mano buddhyahankara chittani naham. If you translate that, I am not the mind, I am not the intellect, I am not the memory, I am not the ego. Fair enough. If you look closely, you might say, wait a minute, what did you say? I am not the mind, intellect, um, memory, fine. I am not the ego. It's literally saying, I am not I. What I is there? And how can you truly said, say, I am not I? What is, then, what is the difference between the two eyes? Not these two eyes. <laughs> vertical. What is the difference between the two eyes? One is the pure witness, the pure consciousness, pure subject. Again, be careful with these words. I have seen people often misunderstand. When I say pure consciousness, many people think, oh, something like not thinking bad thoughts. No, 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 not like that. Pure consciousness is consciousness without any uh, objective constituent. Where I am that, that which is aware of everything, but of which you are not aware. And that which lights up everything, but it itself cannot be lit up. That which is which objectifies everything, but itself can never be objectified. That is pure consciousness. What you get by Drigdrishya Viveka, what you get by the method of the five sheets, physical body, here, prana, and the thought, I can't show you the thoughts unless you're a telepath, the thoughts in, in the mind, that is the mental body. And the intellect, which is understanding all this, that's the Vijnanamaya Kosha. Push beyond that, you'll get a blankness. That is the Anandamaya Kosha. The five sheets, physical sheet, vital sheet, mental sheet, intellect sheet, and the bliss sheet. I'm not going to, ex going to explain. But what I'm saying is, the witness consciousness, the witness, is the witness of all of these five sheets. It's the Ahankara. Where is the Ahankara? It's in the mind and the intellect. It's in the intellect, actually. So the, that is the ahankar, and that's also a function of the mind or function of the intellect. Um, that pure consciousness, that's the meaning of the I which Krishna is teaching, which Vedanta is teaching. Vedanta is saying you are actually that witness consciousness, not the ahankara. You are actually sakshi, witness consciousness, not ahankara. What's the difference? The sakshi... The ahankara is subject to change. Ahankara is subject to change. You see, how it works is this. Let me give you the, uh, sort of draw, draw a picture mentally. Sakshi is pure consciousness. That's the real self. Think of it as a light. It's not a light, not a physical light. You won't start glowing. Again, I'm reminded of, because spiritual people do glow. <laughs> So I'm reminded of a little story I read about Swami Premananda again because I was reading his reminiscences. So uh, the person who writes says that when he would come down after the worship of Sri Ramakrishna every day in Belurmat, it would be a sight to see. One day I was standing at the foot of the stairs in the temple and he came down after the worship and his face was, you know, sorry, he was very fair. So his face had become red and it was literally glowing with an unearthly light. And I looked stunned at him. The person who's writing says, he says, I looked stunned at him and I said, you do not belong to this world. 
he looked at me and he smiled and he said neither do you <laughs> so that's a globe yes but the pure consciousness is not that globe <laughs> pure consciousness just think of it as a light uh, which lights up everything now that light lights up the mind and this lit up mind is what we are experiencing as awareness right now let me repeat that the the true uh, true atman the true self pure consciousness witness sakshi all of these words i'm using uh, indifferently that one lights up the mind right now and what we experience as the mind is mind plus that reflected consciousness pure consciousness real you what you are experiencing now each of us within ourselves right now mind plus reflected consciousness it's like real face and i hold a mirror here i w- what will i see not only a mirror i will see my face in the mirror what face is that not the real face it's a reflected face so i'm seeing two things mirror plus reflected face when we look into our minds what you are experiencing there as a variety of thoughts feelings emotions memories desires continuously changing but also awareness all of those thoughts feelings memories are lit up by awareness oh is this awareness pure consciousness is this the atman am i enlightened no that's the reflected consciousness in sanskrit sabhasa sabhasa means abhasa means shadow sabhasa means with shadow or with reflection mind with reflection sabhasa antakarana vritti that is the technical phrase a modification of the mind with the reflection of consciousness so that sounds awfully dry and technical that's all that we know of life everything that you ever experience is a modification of the mind with the reflection of consciousness think about it what you are seeing hearing smelling tasting no swami i am looking at you so that's the, that's the experience we are having yes but what what's happening light is falling on my body and then it's going to the eyes from your eyes through the nervous system it goes to the brain and somehow operative word somehow that is now becomes an image a picture that you see in your mind that picture which you are seeing in your mind that's all that you are seeing there's nothing else you don't see the electrical activity in your brains you don't see the nerves you don't see actual light coming nothing none of that all that we experience is what is there in our minds and whatever is there in our minds is a modification of the mind with awareness there is it's called antakarana vritti and there the reflection of awareness is shining there so this is what's going on um and this is where this is this this thing is called ahankara the ego functions at this level it is the one which sees hears smells tastes touches thinks remembers the technical name for this is the knower ego with the mind becomes the knower sanskrit pramata so there is a distinction between pramata and sakshi the knower and witness this mind the knower together with the organs of action now claims i walk i talk i eat i drive and all of those actions the that knower now becomes the doer the agent sanskrit karta and doing action brings a result from the world i have cooked now i can eat becoming the eater in sanskrit bhokta eater just not physically just eating food seeing hearing smelling 
tasting, touching all the inputs from the world, when it affects us, when we, we begin to uh, in, enjoy or suffer, that is called bhokta. In English, experiencer or enjoyer or sufferer or whatever. So, none of these are the real you. The real you is the witness of all of these. That witness consciousness reflected in the mind becomes knower, pramata, doer, karta, uh, enjoyer or sufferer, bhokta. Pramata, karta, uh, pramata, karta, bhokta, all of these are activities of ahankara, of the ego. So this is the distinction. Now, what follows? Sakshi never changes. Ahankara is always associated with change. Moon reflected in water. The moon itself may not be changing. But when the water goes into waves, you will see the reflection is changing. Similarly, consciousness reflected in the mind. The mind is always going through changes. And you feel, I, the reflected consciousness, that one, that ahankara. I am hungry. Now I am full. I am ill. Now I am better. I am in pain. I am enjoying myself. Change, change, change continuously. And um, this, this doer and uh, uh, enjoyer or sufferer, this is called samsari, the one in samsara. Always trying to improve its situation, never succeeding. Just a little more, I'll be alright. Never. Guaranteed. You'll never be alright. And the Sakshi, it's never a samsari. It's always perfectly alright. It's always alright. This is the distinction between witness consciousness Sakshi, which we are already. And what Vedanta says is, understand this clearly and see it for yourself. And see it for yourself. Because it's continuously available. You don't have to become. Even the words witness are slightly misleading. Because we, if we don't hear carefully, we go away with the impression is that we are being told to be witnesses. No. You are already a witness. If you practice being a witness, that's still the ahankara. See, the, even spiritual practice is done by the ahankara. A little more enlightened kind of ahankara. It becomes a spiritual seeker. Oh, I will not be... Uh, engulfed by samsara anymore I must become a uh, seeker of God realization now earlier I was running around madly in the world and trying to be happy because with money and fame and pleasures now I'm trying to be happy by meditation and prayer and service still ahankara better, better ahankara, much better yeah. but not the sakshi yet. the enlightened person knows that I am the sakshi for I, for the enlightened person, refers to Sakshi. For everybody else, the materialistic, worldly person and the ignorant, as yet ignorant, but still spiritual, spiritual seeker, but as yet ignorant, even for that person, I refers to Ahankara. So this is the difference. What Krishna is saying, the enlightened, the, uh, enlightened person should act, should do all activities. Knowing oneself to be the Sakshi and yet work through the body and mind. Will the enlightened person still have Ahankara? Will the enlightened person still have ego? Here is something to be understood carefully. Answer is absolutely yes. Why not? Because sometimes the, the, way, the way we read spiritual texts and we hear things um, destroys the ego, goes beyond the ego. 
uh, ego is the enemy kill the ego and then you are free true going killing the ego going beyond the ego it simply means transcending the ego simply means knowing i does not refer to the ego i refers to sakshi that's all it means the ego function of the mind will continue why not why not of course it will continue enlightened person has a body or not look at that clearly they have bodies if the body is functioning body is there so heart is functioning lungs are functioning kidney is functioning good brain is also functioning good that means the person has a mind enlightened person is a mindless or <laughs> uh, they have brains but no minds no <laughs> even when i have given a talk no mind <laughs> but there no mind means you are not identified with the mind the mind is an object an instrument i am not it that's what it means so mind is there if mind is there will memory will be there or the enlightened person means amnesiac no memory no memory will be there intellect will work memory will everything will work and a little better than everybody else but the ego there is also seen as a clearly as a function of the mind as an and not really me not really me this is the difference between enlightened person and an ignorant person that's all and that's a very big difference those who have attended classes on drigdrishya viveka you will know a question is raised there what is the relationship of the reflected consciousness what is the relationship with of the reflected consciousness with three things one with the body reflected consciousness and body what is the relationship second with the mind and third with the real self pure consciousness what is the relationship why 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 is this question important because the last and the final thing that we can catch in our our present experience is the reflected consciousness you can do it right now notice here is the body and look within thoughts feelings or and aware of those thoughts and feelings that awareness is the reflected consciousness that's the last thing we can catch anybody if you're just a little anybody can understand the body look inside anybody can understand the mind more or less and if you make a slight distinction between the fleeting thoughts and feelings and the sense of being aware you are beginning to understand what the reflected consciousness is that is called chidabhas or abhas or the shadow of consciousness stay there now the question is being asked what's the relationship of that consciousness with this body what's the relationship of that con- that reflected consciousness with the mind thoughts feeling your mind and what's its relationship with the real self which vedanta is talking about because if you could understand that then you can go from the reflected consciousness back to the real self what is the relationship the relationship with the body it says karma jam it's bound to karma as long as your karma is there this body will live prarabdha karma is there body will live and you will that re- reflected consciousness will continue to identify with this body when k- prarabdha karma of this body is exhausted this body will die which we call physical death and then the reflected consciousness along with the mind travels to other bodies and there will be rebirth and then you that consciousness will call a new body this i am this no longer that's and that's not me what they burnt or buried or whatever that's not me i am this new baby i am now with this so the relationship between you the awareness and that body which you call your body is a relationship of karma as long as karma is there that reflect, reflected awareness will call it it's my body that's there you can't do anything about it
It will change one day. When the karma is gone, a new body comes. Nothing to be done there. Second, what's the relationship between the mind and that reflected consciousness? If It's like asking, what's the relationship between your reflected face and the mirror? What's the relationship between the reflected moon and the water? What's the relationship? It says, sahajam, natural. If there is a reflector, there will be a reflection. If there is a mirror, there will be a reflection. If there is water, you can see your face there or the sun will be reflected there. There is no way of separating the two. Reflected face and mirror, they are together, they stick together. You can't separate them. If you take away the uh, reflector, no reflection will be there. But as long as you are there and the reflector is there, there will be a reflected face. As long as the mind is functioning, consciousness is always lit up, there will be a reflected consciousness. Suppose you take the mirror away, no reflected face. Suppose the mind falls asleep, no reflected consciousness. That's why deep sleep seems to be the state of unconsciousness. It's not unconsciousness, no reflected consciousness. This consciousness which we are aware of right now, that disappears in deep sleep. It's there in waking, it's there in dream, but it disappears in deep sleep. Are you with me? You're all eager, waiting for... You're right. The third question is the most important one. That's the question which leads to enlightenment. Relationship between awareness and the mind is natural. As long as mind is functioning, you will feel awareness. When mind stops, that reflected awareness will disappear. But now the real question. This Atman, this witness consciousness, Sakshi you're talking about, what's its relationship with this reflected consciousness which I'm feeling? What's its relationship? And Rigdrishya Viveka says, Bhranti Janyam. No relationship. The only relationship is foolishness, stupidity. There's no relationship. What is the real relationship between the face and the reflected face? Nothing. The reflected face is in the mirror. It has no physical connection directly with the, your original face. Whatever happens to the reflected face, nothing happens to your real face. Whatever happens to the reflection of the, uh, of the sun in a little puddle, nothing happens to the real sun. There's really no physical connection between, I mean, physics will say light is there, it doesn't matter. That is different, this is different. It seems to be a connection because of ignorance. Bhranti means error. How do you remove this error? What is the error? What is, remember the, the nature of the error. I am this, this is my, my error. How do you remove this error? By knowledge. What knowledge? By knowledge of yourself as the witness. Once the reality is known, the reflection can continue to appear. You will not be confused anymore. Once I know my real face is this one, not the one I'm seeing in the mirror, then the mirror can be there, reflected face can be there, there can be concave mirror, there can be convex mirror, different kinds of faces will be there. I know it has nothing to do with me. My real face is here. Similarly, the witness consciousness, that little step from their <laughs> reflection back to you, it's not so difficult really. It's not really so difficult. One teacher said the in, that, that intuition, that comes easily. That does, that is, does not come, uh, it is not too difficult. But stability takes time. Again, very careful. Stability in what? 
stabilizing yourself as the witness no the witness you as, as the witness you are always stable you always were when you had never heard of the such things also you are always the witness without any problem at all as swami premananda said he said you are not of this world and neither are you you are spiritual beings right now as much as swami premananda why is he glowing i am not glowing <laughs> it's just that we don't know it and we think we are this mess called a body mind so that little step that takes time yes Yes. Everything else is uh, also nothing different from that witness consciousness. See, um, sankhya is very strong in the Bhagavad Gita. What is sankhya? It separates consciousness from nature, from prakriti. What's the last thing in nature? What is nature? This world. We are coming to the verse now. This world, this body, even the mind. The last thing in nature is the ahankara, the eye sense. the most subtle thing there to there are two things there there is a function of the mind and the reflected consciousness that's the the finest the tip the the spearhead of nature that's the last thing beyond that is the transcendent is 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 divinity god purusha whatever you call it you the real you now all of this we are in a begin- in a position now to understand krishna what he is trying to say here प्रकृते क्रियमाणानि गुणै कर्माणि सर्वश द वर्ड प्रकृति अ वेरी सांख्यन वर्ड इट मींस नेचर मटेरियल नेचर टेक्निकली प्रकृति इज इन इन सांख्या एंड दैट हैज बीन बोरोड बाय वेदांत इज मेड ऑफ थ्री थिंग्स व्हाट इज प्रकृति आफ्टर ऑल द सीड स्टेट ऑफ नेचर फ्रॉम व्हिच एंटायर यूनिवर्स हैज कम द कॉज द कॉजल स्टेट फ्रॉम व्हिच द एंटायर यूनिवर्स हैज कम व्हाट्स इट मेड ऑफ व्हाट्स द सीड मेड ऑफ in sankhya the three gunas sattva rajas tamas and i will not go into the details it's a big thing in in uh, sankhya and in gita also three three gunas if the seed is made of the three gunas the constituents very briefly tamas is the force of inertia and darkness rajas of dynamism activity desire sattva of stability serenity light um these three are the constituents of prakriti and therefore all the products of prakriti they are made of these three so when he says prakriti and gunaha guna here means the products of prakriti what are the products of prakriti the products of prakriti are um stars and planets and uh, quarks and uh, uh, atoms and all of this and this chair and table and these buildings and our bodies and our senses and our minds mind is also material according to vedanta sukshma it is subtle matter body is called sthula gross matter but it's also matter why is why would you call it matter what's the way to distinguish vedanta has a very elegant way of distinguishing consciousness and matter anything that you can experience is matter i'll repeat that very elegant definition anything that you can experience is matter so you experience this book you can see it you experience even your own eyes you can touch it you can open it and close it you experience even a thought that's also matter book is matter eyes are matter thought i am seeing a book that's also matter because you are experiencing it as an object so all of this is matter up to this even the finest of thoughts even the subtlest of thoughts is matter 
guna means matter all the products of prakriti prakriti is matter the products of prakriti is also material and here when krishna says all work all activity in our lives is done by the products of prakriti prakrite gunehi karmani sarvasha kriyamanani all activities are being done in our life everything that's going on in our lives is being done by the products of prakriti which products of prakriti is he interested in body mind here specifically the ahankara the ego which connects you to the body mind so all of these are products of prakriti not you ahankara vimungudatma the the self here deluded by ahankara ahankara means that which identifies you with this body mind thinks i am the doer and therefore gets caught in samsara becomes pramata knower um karta doer bhokta enjoyer or sufferer samsari and that's all that one knows oneself to be who knows this it's the it's that same pure consciousness remember even when the body and mind are acting prakriti is acting um you are seeing hearing smelling tasting doing action enjoying and suffering pure consciousness of witness consciousness is there without it none of this would be possible consciousness is always there when the light is shining when the microphone is amplifying sound electricity is there when it was in the box this gadget did not uh, amplify sound when the bulb was in the box it did not shine electricity is not the microphone electricity is not the bulb electricity is not even the function of the microphone which is amplifying sound electricity is not even the function of the bulb which is to shine and give light but without electricity none of this would be possible none of this would be possible similarly consciousness in itself is not a knower um it's not something that sees hears smells tastes or touches but without that consciousness there is no seeing smelling hearing uh, nothing so that that shining everything else shines in the language of the upanishad tameva bhantam anubhati sarvam that shining everything else shines tasya bhasa sarvam idam vibhati by its light its light what are we talking about i'm talking about you by your light you shining everything else shines by your light everything here is lit up everything here means first the mind is lit up then the senses are lit up and so then this body mind complex through that you light up the world light up the world means you experience the world see hear smell taste think about it understand love hate desire all the activities of body and mind are like the bulb shining or the microphone amplifying sound but they are made possible because of the presence of you the witness consciousness this lighting up that's what the witness consciousness does the point is even when we think of ourselves as an ego connected with the body and mind even then the witness consciousness is there to think even to make a mistake i am in samsara i am suffering i have so many problems even to think that and feel that that witness consciousness is necessary without that light nothing else is possible so you that is always present and that gives us hope in whatever experience we have worldly experience religious experience shankaracharya comments here karmani work all activities are performed by consciousness he says uh, laukikani shastriyani cha uh, all spiritual or religious activities and worldly activities all of them are performed 
because of the presence of that light through the ego but not knowing oneself to be the witness consciousness limiting oneself to being only the ego and identified with body and mind one becomes the doer kartaham iti manyate that witness consciousness itself not knowing it not knowing its own nature forgetting its own nature identifying only with the ego and through that with the body and mind thinks of itself as the doer and then is trapped yes so i have a question about the performing action huh. and the doer example yes Yes. So, this Certainly. But remember first of all make a little distance between you the person. That you the person is that ahankara. I am a good person, I am a bad person, did I do the best? I did not do my best. All of that is ahankara. As witness consciousness, pure consciousness. You are you are separate from this. It's like looking at your a mirror with your face reflected in it. that is separate from you then consider using the same uh, mind and intellect what was done and see what was i could do any better if it can can't be done better pray to the lord for the welfare of that person you need not worry so much about it an interesting story um swami turiyanand ji was in banaras and this this has been recorded by swami vasudevanand another monk who was very uh, very learned he has written this bhagavad gita uh, translated shankara's commentary into bengali with a lot of additional notes it's published by udbodhan in bengali um he was very very vedantic so uh, he wanted to uh, like a very good receptacle for the teachings of turiyanandaji who was very non dualistic himself one day turiyanandaji told swami vasudevananda always try to know yourself as the non doing the non doer the self which is not an not a doer not an ag- agent of action and then do work and then vasudevan ji said how is that possible uh, if you are doing work you always feel that i am doing this work so agentship is always there then turiyan ji says then take up some attitude particular attitude what does he mean attitude i am the servant of the lord i am the doer if i am a servant i am still i still have the feeling of doing it but then you take up that attitude i am serving the lord uh, so as a uh, as the servant of the lord i am eager to do work as worship that way you can do it now swami vasudevananda spent some time seriously thinking about it how can one be the not doer and began to get an idea that i am the witness of all of this and body is working mind is working even the ego is also feeling that i am working but i am the awareness which is the witness of all of this and you will say yeah some of you are nodding yes, that's what you are taught that's what was being taught right yes but here is the problem one day he was using a pestle to grind spices in the kitchen and i'm sure he was thinking about vedanta it's not a good idea when you're hammering something with a pestle and <laughs> thinking about vedanta and he hit his thumb and he shouted oof and immediately he ran to swami turiyananda swami see the travail the, the the problem the samskaras of the mind i have understood what you said and i agree with you that i am the non doing awareness but when the pestle hit my thumb i shouted oof 
I feel I have hit myself. I am suffering. I am the one who hit myself. I am the one who is in pain. And I am the one who shouted, Oof! The Swami said, Ah, but it's the mind which shouted, Oof! And you are the witness of that mind too. It is the mind which is the doer. You are not the doer. He says, let it be so. Let, let that oof come also. That will take time to... <laughs> but even in, if this, this is an important point. To reach that level of detachment and serenity where we are not affected by physical pain or serious troubles in my life, it takes a lot of time. But even before that, if one has the attitude, one, one begins to see in me the field of awareness this sharp pain came and automatically the mind reacted by saying oof. It hurt, the mind reacted and all of this is being lit up by me, the unchanging awareness. If this much understanding is there, that's also very good. What will happen is, it will help your recovery immediately. The, the sorrow and the misery and the reactions from what the world is throwing at you, those will be much less. Already at our level. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Just that much understanding. That also can help, help a lot. But be careful. Huh? <laughs> yeah, the, This is a small ouch. There can be very big problems in life. Where one may feel overwhelmed. But again, after your, that big wave has passed, when you use this understanding, the beauty of this understanding is it's a direct reporting of the truth. It's, this is a fact. Once you see this, See, notice that, yes, the one which did the action and one which suffered, that action and the suffering, the doing and the suffering, that came and that went. That was not there earlier, was there for an instant and is gone now. And there is a memory also. But I was aware of its absence in the beginning. I was aware of its presence, that flash of pain. I'm aware of the memory of that pain. I'm aware of the reaction and the fading away of the reaction. That awareness is constant. That I am. I am not affected by the ups and downs of the agent of the ahankara. Body ages. The ahankara says, I am growing old. Body gets wrinkles. I am wrinkled. Body gets, then the, uh, the mind gets depression. I am so sad. And mind gets elated at something nice happening. I am wonderful. I am excited. Our Swami in Houston is humorous, you know, he says, Atma Rupanji. He says, if you look at the advertisements, some new cereal has come out. And we look at the people who are eating the cereal. Wow, I'm so excited. Wonderful. This is fantastic. And he says, no, no, no. There's no food in the world which can honestly give you that reaction. <laughs> Nothing really <laughs> gives you that. No food, no cereal can actually make you so excited. That would be a very strange person who gets so excited over a cereal. <laughs> So I am unaffected by these ups and downs. So he says, Ahankara vimuratma kattahamiti manyate. The one who is deluded by ahankara thinks it of himself as the doer and gets caught in samsara. The witness is not caught. When we know ourselves as the witness, to that extent itself, our recovery from suffering is much faster. Recovery means internal recovery. Body will continue. Sickness will come and go. And one day the body itself will go. One person... See, Ashtavakra says, 
that um, you know what the attitude of a person who has understood that I am the witness consciousness, the attitude should be, this is an advice to somebody who is actually critically ill. Ashtavakra's advice should be, would be, let death come today. Honestly, let it come today. Or let me recover from the illness and live for up to 100 years. I'm perfectly alright with both. It would be wonderful if you could do that. You can do it. I mean, it's in fact a fact. The witness consciousness, the Sakshi, is perfectly alright with both. It really has nothing to do with the body dying out, out of illness now or even with the body recovering from the illness and living for 40 more years. Witness consciousness is neither increased by living for 40 more in years uh, nor diminished by dying today. The consciousness does not die. Nor does the consciousness live on with the body. This thing, because we are un unaware of ourselves, as this immortal being, isness. Sat means isness. It is no birth, no death. Because we are unaware of that nature, the sat nature, the pure being nature of ourself, we have what is called clinging to life. We want to live in this body. One sadhu put it in very brief in Hindi. It, uh, Apna sat swarup ko na janna. Uska naam hai jiji visha. Jiji visha means desire to live as a body. Apna chit swarup ka na janna, not knowing yourself as awareness, it leads to jignasa, the desire to know things in the world piecemeal, little by little by little, more and more. There's no end to knowing. And by the time you have completed um, um, university, you have forgotten what you learnt in school. And by the time you have finished all your learning and read all, all these books and uh, papers and everything, then old age comes. Yeah. Memory starts dropping out. You begin to forget what you've accumulated after 40 years of learning in life. For a person whose whole life is in that, it's tragedy. It's like a multimillionaire who loses everything in a Wall, in a Wall Street stock market crash. Whatever I worked for in my life, my joy, my wealth, gone. Oh, how terrible. Whatever I worked for in my life, all these things I learned, I memorized, I studied, I understood. One great philosopher once told me he had a stroke. He said, Swami, I'm so depressed. A great philosopher. Indian philosophy, Vedanta, Nyaya, Western philosophy, phenomenology and so on. He said, Swami, I have, I'm feeling depressed. Why? I can't remember. And I'm, I can't catch it. I, I'm not as quick as I used to be. So You don't need a stroke for that. Old age will do that to you. If my investment is in that, that, that is my identity. Terrible then. I'm losing that. But if you know yourself as this witness consciousness, you are the witness of the keen memory, the witness of the failing memory. The witness of um, extraordinary good health, witness of failing uh, health in the body. Absolutely, that witness is not affected at all. Not even the least. That distinction, if it becomes clear, Rigdrisha Vivek says, Antar Drigdrisha Yor Bhedaha. Inside yourself. Inside yourself means not physically inside. If you physically look inside the body, you'll find more body. <laughs> Flesh and blood and bones. Inside yourself means in your own experience. Your experience, what we are having now, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. If you examine that experience, the distinction between what is experienced and the illumining consciousness, that distinction, the little gap, 
that is very valuable that's what krishna is pointing towards yes so this is the unenlightened person getting deluded by ahankara gets caught in samsara then what does the enlightened person do next time <laughs> om shanti 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 hari om tat sat श्री राम कृष्णार्पणमस्तु